0: How many of you have been through a difficulty in the last few weeks, in the last month, uh, perhaps? As you think about that, and if all of you would think with me this morning, uh, when things get hard, okay, when the going gets tough, what's your first reaction? What's your first response when things get difficult? Is it fear? Is it uh, you know, it's not... Uh, wasn't asking for participation there, but thank you. Um, is, it, is, it, is it fear? Is it, is it pondering? Is it to begin thinking, to begin kind of an effort in problem solving? What do I need to do here? Is it, is it to complain? Is it to whine, perhaps? Um, is, it, is it self-reflection? Is it wondering what you did wrong? Do you, do you begin to battle up, gear up? Okay, challenge ahead, pull the bootstraps up, here we go, it's a fight, right? What, what is your reaction? Is your reaction to uh, pull away? Is your reaction to isolate from other people when things get difficult, when you're going through a, a season of difficulty? What's your first reaction when things get hard? I ask that because this morning in the passage that we are looking at in the book of Acts, we see things have gotten difficult for Jesus' first followers. And we see that their reaction, their response is probably different than our first reaction when we face difficult things. So I want to challenge us this morning uh, as we live in a place of comfort, relative ease, Things still get difficult, don't they? We're still uh, bombarded by pressures, by stress, by strained relationships, by just things not going like you hoped they would go. So what do you do? Well, this morning we look at Jesus' first followers to see their reaction uh, when, things, when, the, when things got tough, when the going gets tough, Okay. But before we look at the passage, would you uh, join me in prayer? Go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 4, but as you're flipping there, let's pray. Um, Let's ask God to work in these moments that we look at his word, okay? I also want to lift up as we pray, um, I want to remind us, Michael Daly, one of our own, is ministering this morning in Romania. John Bockelman is also in Jordan, I believe, today. Where's Wendy? Wendy's right over there. You're really messing with me, Wendy. She's usually over there. Uh, when John's gone, she's over here with Marilyn, which is a great, great substitute. Uh, John is also traveling uh, as a part of, of East-West, preparing and training uh, ministry leaders in some difficult places, people that, that face difficulties much uh, more dangerous, much more extreme than you and I will. So I want to lift up them in prayer and continue to ask you to pray for them uh, as the week go by, too. Okay, let's pray. Oh, Father God, we, um, we come to you this morning, we, um, we live in a world of noise and spin and lies, and so we ask, Lord, that in these moments, uh, you would quiet the noise in our hearts. You would perhaps even uh, cause our heartbeat to calm as we just rest and hear from you Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, would minister to each heart here, however we need to be ministered to this morning. Lord, we pray for our brothers this morning that are traveling, who are uh, taking your Word to places that most of us will never go. We ask for great fruitfulness. We, We ask that you would build your church, your global church around the world. We thank you that we can be just a small part of it. We pray for for Wendy as she's here with the kids on her own. We pray for Janie as she is here while Michael travels and that you would comfort them uh, and remind us, Lord, this week to pray for them and remind us, Lord, this week that we have a mission field ourselves and pray that we would be faithful to that mission field. God, we love you. We don't love you as we ought to. We don't live in obedience to you as we should. We confess that and we pray, Lord, that you would change us even in these moments, that you would send us out of here, that you would scatter us as better representatives, more faithful ambassadors for you. Touch our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Well, I don't I think this is maybe week 9 or 10 in this series that we've been looking at in Acts. And what I want to just to back up a little bit what is happening in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the only history that we have of the early church. We have four histories of Jesus ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. We call those the gospels and they're, they're historical biographies of Jesus. And as we as we in, as we enter Acts, we're looking at the history of the church. And it's not just the history of the church, it's the history of Jesus continuing to work, but now as He is with the Father, He's continuing to work through His people, the church. And so we're in chapter 4 of Acts, we've seen that those first disciples were dramatically changed by Easter. By the resurrection, it dramatically changed them into people of of stronger faith. We saw in chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came and indwelt them as never before. And he strengthened them with power, not just to gather together and celebrate Easter, the resurrection, but to scatter and go out and make a difference. And that's what the church is about, gathering together and scattering out after we gather. And we see that rhythm all throughout Acts. And one of the things I've been trying to ask us as we've looked at this study of Acts is, where are you scattering to? Michael and and John are in places that most of us will never go to uh, this week or in our lifetimes, but there are places that, that you are scattering to this week that others in this congregation will not go to. And to call even to us normal, regular old believers is to gather with our family and then scatter with the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether that means to the nations or to our neighbors. So I've been asking us periodically through this sermon series, uh, Acts 1.8 is kind of a, a key verse in this book, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Now, the problem is, to interpret that this morning, is none of us are in Jerusalem. None of us have a zip code in Judea or Samaria. You might not even be able to point to Samaria on a map. But you do have a place where the Holy Spirit wants you to work as his witnesses. And so the the call on these first disciples to gather as the church and then scatter is a call to you and me as well. And I want every one of us who call Centennial Church your home to know, what's my Jerusalem? Where is Jesus sending me this week? Where has he already sent me? Maybe it's to those few co-workers that are either unsaved or unchurched, and you're praying for them you're reaching out to them in times of need. Maybe it's uh, people on your block. Maybe it's the other soccer moms that you've gotten to know. Maybe it's the Boy Scout or Girl Scout troop that you're a part of. Maybe it's a hobby that you're involved in. But I hope that every one of us has identified some people that are right in our midst. We see them weekly, maybe daily, that are in our Jerusalem. Because that's the pattern that God wants us to fill gathering together as his body and then scattering out to be the church, to spread the word. So that's what's been happening already in the book of Acts. And as we get to chapters 3 and 4, they kind of work together. And at the beginning of chapter 3, Peter and John have gone out uh, to the temple area, and they, as they came upon this lame man, this man that could not work, they healed him. He was there begging and they healed him and it drew quite a crowd. But we see in chapter 4 that it also drew some controversy and some persecution. And so the religious leaders of the that day, the Sanhedrin, uh, the chief priests, they begin to be concerned about uh, the disciples' influence there in the crowd that's gathering because of this miracle. And you get to chapter 4 and the religious leaders basically say, look, we, we can't debate this. I mean, the guy here, everyone has walked by him since for the last 40 years he was, he's been lame. Everyone has been walking by him, and now he's healed. We, we can't really argue with the results, but we definitely need to put a hush on this thing so that we keep our control. And so... Uh, Last week, we began to see in chapter 4 that uh, the religious rulers came and they questioned Peter and John. They saw their boldness, and then they asked them, they told them, they warned them, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Because if you look at chapter 4, verse 12, it says, they claimed there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They were preaching this exclusive, this narrow claim that only in the name of Jesus could people find true healing, could, could people find salvation. And as we get uh, to, the, to the middle, I guess, of chapter four, we're looking this morning in verses 23 through 31. We see their reaction, uh, the disciples' reaction, to their persecution. To the warnings that these religious uh, leaders get, and we see their first reaction. So uh, join me, uh, if you will, if you have your Bible, this will be on the screen as well, but join me uh, beginning in verse 23, and we'll just kind of read through the passage here. Verses 23 through 31, okay? When they were released, released from Prison released from being uh, questioned by these religious leaders, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? You might want to underline that word boldness. It happens at least three times in chapter 4. We'll come back to that in a second. But what happens when the going gets tough? What's your first response when the going gets tough? And here in verses 23 and 24, we see these disciples, we see their first response. And their first response is not isolation. Their first response is not give up or give in. But their first response is to get back to the gathered community to the people that have already been praying for them, for the people that have already believed the message. They understood that they were under attack and that they would continue to be under attack, and so they had to gather together as a community. When they were released, they went to their friends. Thank you for that. Amen. They went to their friends. Folks, the gathering together of church, of the church, is not just a 75-minute event in the goings-on of our week. It's, just, it's not just kind of an energy giver, just kind of a fuel for the week, though hopefully it is fuel. It is absolutely necessary if we are to go out to scatter amongst this world with boldness, saying the claim of verse 12, there's salvation in no one else, then we have to come together regularly to be refueled and energized and prayed for by one another. Because the world gets tough. Even if you're not boldly announcing Jesus, even if you're not claiming him to your neighbors, life just gets tough, suffering happens, things get hard. And I want to offer to you this morning that the gatherings that we have, both this morning as well as the community groups and the Bible studies that we do and the classes that we offer, folks, are designed to be a refuge from the storm. A sanctuary in the midst of a world that is just spinning out of control and continues to place us on the margins of culture. We need one another. I was so privileged this week to be able to pray and to share some burdens with brothers in Christ because it gets hard. And we have to, when when we're beat up by the world, we have to get together. The point of this, folks, is to help us value one another. This summer, we're going to look at some passages uh, that talk about the one another's. You need other people in your life. You need a place, a refuge in which you can share your struggles and oh, for Centennial Church to be a place where we can take off our mask, we can take off the front that we typically put on and say things are hard right now because of this. If you don't have that, I worry for you. If you don't have that refuge, I wonder how you're going to be bold for Jesus. We have, as I said, we have classes. Uh, Right after our service back at the Connection Center, Chris Wyatt, who uh, helps to organize and lead our community groups, is going to be back there. Maybe you don't have this group, and you need to get in a group because the, the, the pattern of Scripture would be life is going to be so difficult that you have to gather with other believers to be refueled and to pray for one another. That's the second reaction that they have. If you see in verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, and they began to pray. And they prayed this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and he goes on, I'll, I'll wait on verse 25 and 26, but they gathered with friends, they gathered with the community, and they prayed. And maybe I'm burdened this morning because maybe we don't gather as passionately or consistently because, quite honestly, we're not really being that bold out there. And so we don't really sense the need for the community. I'm burdened this morning that we don't pray as fervently or as consistently because we're kind of just living comfortable lives. We're not really taking that many risks in conversations. We're not really boldly living for Jesus. And therefore, the need for community isn't really that profound in our hearts. As I struggled with this uh, message this week, I really struggled with it because I wondered, do we really need it? Do our lives really look any different than the lives of those who haven't placed their their faith in Jesus? Do we really feel desperate for Jesus? And sadly for myself, um, too often I can kind of skate through life and say the words and not have that desperate need for Jesus and not have that passionate boldness that I'm called to. But these folks, they were feeling the heat and they came together. They couldn't wait to get back to that community and to pray together together. And so they, they began to pray, and if you look in these verses of the content of their prayer, first of all, notice what they didn't pray for. They didn't pray a thanksgiving prayer, hey, we got released, they let us go. They're not celebrating they got, that they got to go on their own way. They don't even pray here for protection or for a reprieve from persecution. They don't pray that God would be just and bring about wrath or his punishment on these persecutors. They're not praying here for a political uh, upheaval. They're not asking for the governor to be overthrown and for a conservative governor to be put in place. It's not they're not praying political prayers. But they're they're praying desperately, we'll see it in just a second, for boldness and for miracles. Look who they're praying to. They're praying to not a God who's out of control, but the sovereign Lord. And look at the way they describe their God as they pray to him. They say, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. First of all, they recognize as they pray, they're they're framing their prayers by what they know of Scripture. They're praying to the Lord of creation. They're saying, God, you created all this, and if God, if you created all this, then you can protect us within this. The God who has Genesis chapter 1 on his resume is more than capable of dealing with the thing that comes our way Monday morning or Tuesday morning or whatever burden we bring in here this morning. He's the creator. And so when we cry out in desperation, we're also crying out the truths that we already know, that He is the Lord of creation. He made it all, and He can sustain it, and He he can deliver us through it. They're reminded that they're praying to the Lord of creation. Secondly, they're reminded that they pray to the Lord of revelation. You see in verse 25, He says that God had spoken previously through David, And this is also a point here that that the words of David were from the Holy Spirit, that the Scriptures are this conflation of man's word led by the Holy Spirit. And why do they quote this here? Psalm 2 is what they're quoting. God is not only the God of creation, He's the God of revelation. And They quote Psalm 2 here, which basically says that when David was writing Psalm 2, he was being chased that, that people were out to get him, that the unbelieving world was, was, was not excited about David. They were chasing him. Saul was pursuing him. And the logic uh, kind of goes like this. Uh, if David was opposed... If David was persecuted, if David was maligned, and then as we get back down to verse 27 and 28, they also gathered together against their holy servant Jesus. They they maligned him. They killed him. The anointed one was was persecuted by both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. The, The point here of their prayer is, look, David didn't get away without some scrapes and bruises. Jesus certainly didn't get away without harm, then who are we to expect that life is going to be easy or comfortable, even in the burbs, especially if we're bold for Jesus? How could we expect it any differently? And the Peter, Peter the guy who's Part of the preaching here and part of the praying, he will go on later to write First Peter uh, chapter two, I believe it, or, or chapter four, where he says this: "Beloved Peter writing, "Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you." First Peter 4:12, Tony. Peter says, why are you surprised when trials come, when persecution comes? You should expect it. It happened to David. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to us. So they, they pray expectant, knowing that this is the path that those who follow God will be on. It will be one of malignment, one of persecution, But not only do they pray to the Lord of creation and the Lord of revelation, they also pray to the Lord of history. Look at verse 27. They see God's sovereignty, that he planned this, that he is sovereignly in control even of the death of Jesus. Though he was killed by Herod and Pontius Pilate and Gentiles and the people of Israel, they did, verse 28, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And as we come desperately in prayer in tough times and we realize that the person that we're praying to is the God of creation, he's the God who has revealed the scriptures to us, he is the God that has set history in motion and continues to drive it toward its end. We can put that trial in in proper perspective when the going gets tough. Well, they don't pray for ease. They don't even pray for protection. What do they they pray for? You see in verse 29 and and verse 30, the, the ask, the petition. And they pray this, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They had just gotten in trouble because of their boldness. And what do they pray for? More boldness. God, energize us. Give us even greater boldness to speak for you the name above every other name, the only name by which one can be saved. Give us more boldness. And maybe the prayer that that you and I need to pray this morning is, Lord, just give us some boldness because we don't even really feel any persecution. Because we haven't taken a step out. Boldness. I want you to think for a minute with me, what would boldness look like for you this week? If we just, in a, in a few moments here, just give us all a, a few minutes to pray for boldness, what might the answer to that prayer look like? What would it be for you? Just think about Monday morning, who you're going to be with when you drive home from work, what's going to happen that evening, where you're going to take the kids, what activities you're going to be involved in. What might boldness look like in Collin County in 2018? And pray, Lord, help me be courageous. Help me have boldness. Look at the second thing they pray for. And when's the last time that I prayed for this? When's the last time we prayed for this? Verse 30, or verse 29 again, continue to speak your word with all boldness. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you believe that God can do miracles? I mean, not just theoretically, but do you believe that he will, that he can do miracles? When's the last time that you asked God to heal someone? You know, I, I look at uh, our sister Diana, and Deanna came up to me months ago and she said, what do we think about these faith healers on TV? And being the good conservative Bible scholar that I, I am, I thought, well, you know, some of those charlatans, they do this and they do that. And I, I cautioned her against TV preachers and faith healers. Now, later that afternoon, I was convicted in my spirit. Hey, Ross, why don't you pray for Diana to be healed? Do you think God could do that? Well, yeah, kind of. He's the same God today that he was 2,000 years ago, and here they are asking for miracles, asking for healings. When's the last time we prayed for God to move powerfully, Through us in boldness, through miracles, healing someone of cancer, allowing someone to walk again. I want us to grow bold, not only in our witness, but also in our expectancy of what God might do even today in 2018, that he's not done working When Jesus went to the right hand of the Father, he continued to heal and show himself powerful. And guess what? He continues to heal and show himself powerful today. And Michael Daly and John Backelman will come back from other places in the world and they will give us examples of how God is still doing this. And maybe it's our Western mindset and maybe it's the fact that we've been programmed in the Bible belt to just kind of, you know, mine here for truth, but not really expect anything miraculous from God. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for being comfortable. Forgive us for being timid. Forgive us for not being courageous with the people that live next door to us, with the people that we work with with our friends and our family. And God, forgive us for not expecting great things from you, miraculous things even. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to just give us a moment right now as the band comes up. We're going to celebrate the table here in just a minute. But I want to give us a moment right now in the quietness. I'm not going to ask you to say anything out loud. I'm not going to ask you to write anything down, though, if you'd like, you can. I just want us to go before the Lord individually and say, Lord, give me a boldness. Lord, give me an expectant faith. Would you pray that right now in the quietness of your heart? I want you to think as we, uh, as we close here, what might, what might boldness look like this week? What would be a step of faith that you could take with your family or a neighbor? And I want to just ask this to pray. Holy Spirit, when you present an opportunity for us this week, would you make us bold? Would you help us to have the courage to walk through that door of opportunity? I also want to invite you, maybe you're here this morning, you have a particular uh, challenge, a particular decision to make, and you'd like to pray with someone. As we come forward and for communion in just a minute. We're also gonna have some prayer stations at the back. There will be some elders and prayer team members back there holding candles if you would like someone to pray with you about something that's just burdening you, something that um, you can't seem to shake. We'd love to pray with you again. My, my heart would be that as we gather together as a church family, it's a refuge It's a sanctuary from the storm and the stress and the frenetic pace of life. We can come together and give our burdens to the Lord. Find Him faithful. Find Him energize us for the week ahead. Father God, I confess that I have not been bold either in this pulpit or on my street. That I shrink from opportunities sometime. And I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, Jesus would be more alive in me, be more strongly present in me, to be a courageous ambassador in this world. Lord, that I would be able to say with confidence, there is no other name but Jesus. And Lord, give me faith to expect the miraculous to look to you, to do wonders and signs God, we ask for revival. We ask for revival within our church. We ask for revival within this community, Lord. Would you shake us from our comfort and the status quo and the ease? Would you light a flame in us and send us out on fire for Jesus? We come to the table this morning not because we are qualified, not because we are strong, but because we're absolutely weak and timid. And I want to read this invitation that Dan has shared with us in weeks past as we come to the table. Come, not because you are strong, but because you're weak. Come, not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and forgiveness. Come, because you love the Lord a little and would like to love Him a lot more. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to invite our servers to go ahead and come forward and take the elements and go to your section. As we celebrate communion this morning, if you're our guest this morning, we are so glad you're here. You do not need to be a member of Centennial to celebrate at the table with us. You do need to be a person of faith in Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I invite you to come back to the prayer stations and pray with someone that you might accept Jesus and begin to follow him even this morning. For those of you that know Jesus, invite you to the prayer stations as well, invite you to come forward, take the bread, dip it in the cup. You can partake there and then return to your seat. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul instructs us in this way. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Not because we are worthy, but because you are good. Not because of any merit of our own, but because of the grace that you have in yourself. Lord, we come to you and to your table today. And we ask you to energize us through your table to equip us, to give us boldness as we remember your body and blood, the expense, no expense that was spared to bring us into your family. God, we celebrate you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come and remember.